And good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Chaf Dalet in Maseches Kiddushin. And we actually made it to the last line of Chaf Gimel on the Bez, which was nice. Um, there was a machlokas between Rameir and the Rabbanon. Okay, what happened was like this. We were wondering, Barry really was the one wondering, and we were wondering along with him, how is an Evid Kanani going to be Kona, his own, right? How is he going to be redeemed? Because after all, anything that goes to him is actually going to go straight to his master. That was the fundamental question. And the first thing we thought was, well, maybe there's a machlokas between Rebeir and Chachamim to that regard. Maybe Rebeir is the one of the opinion that says that an Evet has no kinyan, um, meaning to say that an Evet can't acquire anything because as soon as it goes to him, it would go straight to his master. And similarly, that Ain that a woman can't acquire anything if she's a married woman because anything that she acquires will go to her husband. Maybe the Chachamim disagree with that. Maybe they hold They have this fundamental machlokas as, as to whether a woman or a slave, this is not so PC, Barry, as I'm saying it, it's, and um, uh, whether the woman or a slave has no independent ability to acquire anything because it goes straight to either her husband or to, in the case of the slave, to the master. However, ultimately we decided yesterday that no, that the Rabbanon would agree with her mayor, that the woman does not have an independent ability to acquire anything. The married woman has the money go straight to her husband and the slave does not have the independent ability. So how then does the slave end up with any amount of money of his own? Said the Gemara, well, we make a very special kind of Tanai. The Tanai is that a, a, an external party, and that was really the last words of our Mishnah, right? The, the last words of our Mishnah was, what was it? Uvil vad shalo acherim. What was the exact Lashon? It says, Uvil vad kesef michel acherim, right? That was the last uh, words of our Mishnah. It said that the only way that really the, and this, right, this is, was, uh, the Yishita of the Chachamim was that the only way that the master was, that the Evid was going to get the money was if he was going to get it from an, out, uh, from an external source, right? So that's what we spent so much time yesterday. The, the, um, the opinion of Rabbi Meir and the opinion of the Chachamim were like the converse of each other. And the Chachamim was this, on this last point with Barry's question where we had the stickiest point. Andrew was perplexed and nonplussed, after davening, he was telling me, I don't understand, how does this tonight work? That this external person, this, ex, this person, this third party, goes to the Eved and he says, you can have this money on the condition that you only get it as you become a free person, as you become a free person. So because he's building in that condition, he's almost creating the ultimate workaround because until the Evan becomes a, three per, a free person, he, nobody, he can't acquire the money. And then his master will never be able to touch the money by virtue of this tonight. Now, do we really believe that this tonight works? So Andrew is a little bit, uh, he sees some of the internal contradiction there, right? Because the difficulty is, it's true that you may say that this tonight Seems like a foolproof tonight, but by the same token, if in fact 
anything that the slave acquires, his master is going to automatically acquire. So then it almost shouldn't matter what kind of tanai you set in place. Like there is no such thing as an acquisition. So really with the, with the tanai, that you, the, the condition that you put in place, as foolproof as it is, right? A condition that you can't get it until you're a free person. At the end of the day, how would it work if in fact these, this Evan never even has any power to have it make a Kenyan at all? That was Andrew's question after davening yesterday. So the fact of the matter is that could be the reason why there's a machlokas about whether this tonight would work at all. Indeed, that's how the Gemara finishes off. It says, Rameer doesn't hold of this, and Rameer is a pure Andrew approach, which is to say, once the Evid is, is acquiring it, and once the Evid can't have any acquisition, so then there is no workaround, there is no tonight that would ever work, and Rameer simply holds like, like Andrew. Whereas the Chachamim hold, that the Tanai works. And that, in fact, is how the Gemara ended up saying that's the Machlokas for Meir and the Chachamim in our very Mishnah as to whether the Eved is, as to whether there's any scenario where the Eved can acquire anything while he's under the uh, jurisdiction of his master from the financial perspective. Now, where we're going to pick up, and I'll say it uh, outside first, where we left off was that Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Anan have an internal contradiction. Uh, how so? Because we have the following idea, that there is something called Meiser Shani. You might know that on the first, second, fourth, and fifth year, right? We bring Meiser Shani to Yerushalayim. And you might recall that the owner of the Meiser Shani, right, sometimes they can't bring all the fruits, so they have, so they are, they redeem it. They redeem it. But when they redeem it with money, they have to pay a Chomesh, right? Like a 20% convenience fee. Right on this money that they bring to Shalim, so you bring extra, but only if you do it for yourself. Which is to say, if Barry were to be so magnanimous, so as to be poda this Meiser Shani, right, to redeem it with money uh, on behalf of Andrew, that chomesh, that convenience fee, does not apply because after all, Barry is doing a good thing for you, right? He, it's not convenient for him, really. I'm, I'm saying it more in like pragmatic. Uh, you know, modern terms, but, you know, why would Barry be charged a convenience fee when, after all, he's going out of his way on behalf of Andrew, and therefore, uh, the Chomesh only is with your own Meiser. And that's what we're going to be starting here with here today. Question is, what happens if a wife, okay, is going to do it on behalf of her husband? So, we're going to have a parallel case with a Tanai and a wife, and it's going to sound like Rav Meir holds that the Tanai doesn't work, and we disregard it. However, and the Chachamim hold that the Tanai works with regards to Meiser Shani, and that is, in fact, the question, because why would Rav Meir hold that the Tanai works, right, uh, by us with the Eved? Uh, rather, why would the Chachamim hold that the Tanai works by us with the Eved? And, and, and you'll see uh, how, how we will relate it in the Mishnah that the position that they have with regards to the Eved sounds like it's the opposite position that they have with regards to the woman and the Meiser Shani. So without further ado, first word on top of Chavdal and Ralph the Brysa. Eini Shepoda Meiser Shani below Chomesh. You know, just uh, in memory of my grandfather's Eretzitis today, Chaim Mordechai ben Aaron Okay, so we're learning for Chaim Le'ilui Nishmas Chaim Mordechai ben Aaron Levi. Andrew's grandfather. No, not at all. It's a big schuss for us, and may his Allah, and the Shama have it in Aliyah. Does that mean your mother was a Bats Levi, Andrew? Yes. 
Oh, wow, Andrew. I knew that we had a kinship. I didn't realize. Okay, Andrew's Yisrael. Nebuch, but, uh, okay. His neshama should have an aliyah. Here we go. Ein isha says the b'risa. The woman, right, she's being poda the ma'isa sheni on behalf of her husband, right? So that, why would, why would she have to give a chomesh? After all, she's doing it, her husband a favor. Yeah, because she has no independent, right, financial, uh, ent- she's not an f- independent financial entity to her husband, okay? That's Rabbi Shimon Belazar, Omer Rishim Rabbi Meir, Isha poida ma'isa sheni b'lachomesh. Rabbi Shimon Belazar quotes, according to Rabbi Meir, that she's poda ma'isa sheni b'lachomesh, which is to say that she's an independent, right, uh, Financial identity. So already we're seeing that Rabbi Meir, who holds that Ain Kenyan Laisha below Bala, right? He holds that she's totally one with her husband with regards to she doesn't have her own bank account, we'll say it in, in those terms. Right here, right, she sounds like she has an independent bank account because she's being put on behalf of her husband, and yet she doesn't have to pay Chomish. It's as if she's doing it for a friend. Says the Gemara, hey, Chitami, wait a minute. It's even more specific. What would be the case of the pigeon without the chomish? So says the Gemara, let's say the wife is using her husband's money to do the pigeon and it's his miser. So she's doing everything on, his, on her husband's behalf, but she's using their joint bank account and it's their money and it's their miser. So then So then there's no way that Remeyer would forgo the chomish because after all, right, she's simply doing it on behalf of her husband. She's just, it's one of the household shared errands that they have. And certainly she would have to pay homage for that. Of course she pays a convenience fee. So why would Remeir say that she doesn't pay the homage? The Ella Bezuze Dido Meiser Dida. So maybe you're going to say, well, she has her own field. She has her own money. She has her own Meiser. So, she, so this is just a woman who's married, but doing her own thing with Meiser Shani. So says the Gemara, Ish Amar Rachman Velo Isha. A Chiddush, says the Rashi. It's the third narrow line. Ish mimaisro amar achmana. That's the pasuk. Velo isha mimaiser baala. The isha keacher damia. So you say it sounds like with regards to maiser, because the pasuk says, right? Ve'im gaol yigel ish mimaisro chamishi so yosef alav. Right, the very pasuk in vayikra perak chavzain pasuk lamed aleph, teaching you this idea of the chomesh. It says the word ish. So it says a woman does not have to pay. Meiser, if it's with her own money, right? When you're redeeming the man's right? When you're redeeming the man's meiser um, is when you have to pay the chomesh. So says the Gemara. It has to be fascinating. It has to be a case very, very similar to our case with an Evid. What's the case? The acne la'acher mana, right? Um, so Uncle Frank is ma- is makne money onto the woman, the wife. He says to her, this money I'm giving to you on condition that you redeem, use this money to redeem your husband's miser and without having to add a fifth. Okay, which would mean that now the machlokas, if that's the case, is a direct parallel to a independent third party giving an evid, right, his money to redeem himself on the condition that his master doesn't get it. So that's what the Gemara is setting up here. The Gemara is saying, if it's the husband's and she's doing an errand for him, for sure, she would have to, everybody would agree, 
that she would have to have a chomesh. And if she got it from an, an external party and that's her own money and everything, so then she, for sure she doesn't. That The Torah teaches you that. It has to be this unique case. Somebody gave her money to redeem her husband's miser on the t'nai that she doesn't have to pay chomesh. Can you do, dictate that? So apparently that's the condition. And in that condition, right, Rabbi Meir, in fact, says that she is not an independent, that she says that she, that she doesn't have to pay a chomesh, which means that she is an independent party. Whereas in our case, in the Mishnah, we, our resolution of our Mishnah was to say that Rabbi Meir held that she is not an independent party and that the Tznai does not work. So in our Mishnah, our Mayor said that Tznai does not work and she, and, and an Evid would be considered it's straight up Andrew and nothing goes to the Evid that can't, doesn't go straight to the master. Whereas in this case of Maisa Shaney, her mayor uh, said that the woman, that it does work, that, she's, that she could do it and she doesn't have to pay a chomesh because she's considered to be an independent party from her husband. So her mayor is an internal contradiction in himself. And the converse is also true that the chachamim are internally contradicting themselves in the case of Evid vis-a-vis the case of Maisa Shaney. So the Gemara says, that's the question, right? We just learned the opposite. So that is uh, the description of the internal contradiction, to which the Gemara answers, Amar Ah, the ultimate solution, Barry. Turn it upside down. Which one is he going to turn upside down, the Mishnah or the Brisa? What do you say, Andrew? Always the Brisa, because the Mishnah is more edited. So we always take the Mishnah as a fixed point that's not, that we're not going to change. And the Brisa, that maybe that's why it's a Brisa, right? Maybe it's backwards, and that's why it got left on the editing floor, as it were, okay? So Rava Amar Olam Lo Rava, however, clever, says maybe this price is more authoritative than you think. You don't have to switch it around. So then what, how do you explain the contradiction between the Brisa by Maisa Shani and the Mishnah by the Evet? Says the Gemara, Maybe we're talking about Maisa, in the case of the Brisa, there comes an inheritance to the woman from her father's house. Okay, so what's happening? Well, this is a totally unrelated topic, Barry. The question uh, uh, here at hand is, you're put to the money, with uh, the Meiser money, right? But is that Meiser Shani? <laughs> is that like when you redeem it? Does it automatically belong to, right, the base of Mikdash? Is, is Hekdesh? Is, does it automatically belong to Hekdesh and you're just redeeming it? Or would you say that it belongs to the Bailim to, and he actually redeems it and only then it becomes like this? What's the difference? Well, if you say, like Rabbi Meir holds elsewhere, that, that the Meisr already belonged to Hekdesh, so watch this. If the woman inherited, inherits it, so then it never makes it to her husband. Because as soon as she inherits it, it really actually is belonging to the base of Mikdash. So therefore, right, that's what he's saying. Rabbi Meir Latame reading again. The Baal is never going to have that acquisition of it, right? And therefore, if he's never going to have that acquisition, so then if she's poda it, then of course she is being poda something that, first of all, don't forget, a woman doesn't have to pay the chomesh, a man does. And she's not doing it for him, she's doing it uh, for her own inheritance. So of course she doesn't have to pay meiser, uh, the chomesh on the meiser, the convenience fee, as I call it. According to Rabbi Meir. Whereas Rabbanan, the Tamayid, Amri Mamun, Hedjotu. 
The Rabbanan is a fundamental question with the Maishashani. He says it's ordinary property, that then only then you have to have all the restrictions of taking off and being poded and bringing it to your shalim. So if it's in fact considered ordinary property, so then any inheritance, don't forget, if a woman gets an inheritance and you hold it anything that the woman uh, inherits the husband owns, so then that, that would also go to the husband. But if you hold that this is an unusual type of inheritance, right, it's the kind of inheritance that really fundamentally belongs to Hekdesh, so then it never makes it to the husband. That's the difference between Maishu Shady and everything else. So if you hold that it's like everything else, so then Kani Baal. So then the husband's going to inherit it. That's the position of the Rabbanon. And then Hilchach Shlichus of the Baal Kavda. And if that's the case, so then anything that the woman's doing, she's really doing the, right, uh, just the errand on behalf of her husband, but really, uh, even when she inherited the Meiser Shani stuff, that all went straight to her husband and she's doing it and therefore that's why the Rabbanon would say that she would have to pay a Chomash. So that's a completely different issue and it is internal to Meiser Shani and therefore the Brisa uh, with regards to Meiser Shani that seems to be in contradiction with our Mishnah over here actually everyone's conceding that it's the same unusual tonight of, you know, you can get it on, uh, as long as you don't, uh, well, I guess according to this uh, uh, resolution of Rava, maybe it doesn't even have to be a Tanai, right? So according to this, it would just be, she just received it um, as, a, as an inheritance, right? And therefore, really, according to Rava, these are two very diff- totally different things. The, uh, the whole parallel gets thrown out the window, and although it appears like the Rabbanon or Mayor flipped, really they're both just saying their opinion on a totally different matter. And that's why it appears that it's flipped, but it's actually not. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. So now we're at the two dots, and we say, Tana, Hayotza b'shein v'ayin, eight lines up at the bottom. This is a fascinating question. And actually, Andrew... You know, it's almost Rosh Hashanah, so I, I have to apologize. I have beef with you about something. You ready? We just read a Mishnah about the ways in which an Evid Kanani goes out. We said he can go out with a star, he can go out with money. And at no point, Andrew, did you say, wait, what about Shane V'ayn? What about the classic way that an Evid goes out, that it says in the Chumash, black on white, that if he, his tooth or eye gets knocked out, he goes free? Why did you not say that, Andrew? I, I'm... I, I, I'm Ochali. I know, you know what? I know how sensitive you are about teeth. <laughs> you hear what he said? He said because he knows how sensitive I am about teeth. He didn't want to bring it up. Very good. Okay, I'm Ochali. All right, so the question is, why was that not mentioned? Okay, that's a good question. So this was a Bryson. The Bryson says that, uh, points out, that what the Chubbish points out, that never goes out with Rosh Varim. It says in the Pasuk, I'll read it to you. It's in referring to You hit him. Something happens. Right? It destroys it. Okay? So the Chavshi Shalchenu Tachaseno. So he goes free. So it goes through the eye and it goes through the ears. Through the tooth, rather. Says the Gemara. So the first thing the Gemara wants to know is, I understand he goes out with an eye or a tooth. But where do we learn Rosh Evarim? Okay, we can go into the, the Mishnah Nagaim in the sixth parak, talk about what Rosh Evarim are, the, the edges of certain, right, all the 24, uh, 10 fingers, 10 toes, 2 ears, a nose, uh, etc. Okay, so 
Be that as it may, let's stick with the eye and the, and the um, let's stick with the eye and, and the tooth for now. So the Gemara says, where do we learn all the other limb tips? Dumya Okay, so what the Gemara is going to say now is uh, the hermeneutics, right? The Yud Gimel Midos Shatorni Dreshepahem, right? That from there we learn that any uh, limb tip that's similar to an eye or a tooth is going to, uh, if it gets destroyed, is going to make the Ebed Kanani eligible for, right, uh, for freedom. So again, just like Ma Shane, just like Shane and Ayn are exposed, right? You see the tooth, you see the when this Evid smiles, and you see the eye, and Vein and Chozer mean they don't regenerate, meaning you knock out an eye, it doesn't go back. So therefore, any limb tip, any mum in a limb tip that is visible, like the fingers of the right, let's say, and the toes, if you're open opening toes sandal shoes. Uh, which you can't if you're one of my daughters who started Beis Yaakov yesterday. I'm just pointing that out. So you call it Einan Chosrin, right? But, and, and if it doesn't regenerate, so those you cannot, right? If anything happens to those, then you have to, right, the, set the uh, Evid free. So the question wants to know like this. The Gemara wants to know. Right, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We already know that when we have the Yud Gimel Amidah Shani Drashas Baham, if you had said just shame, so then you say that that is exposed and doesn't regenerate, and that actually has to uh, reflect on any other kind of limb that is exposed and doesn't regenerate. That's when you list only one. But we've been at this for a while, Barry, almost halfway through Shas, so we know. Maybe he's not going to finish it many times over. But we know that when you give two examples, that's Shnei, right? That's called Shnei Suvim Abayim Ke'echad. And we read it every morning, Rabbi Shemayel Omer, that when you have Shnei Suvim Abayim Ke'echad, once you have two examples, now those two are the exception. And they're the only two examples. So where are you coming up with multiple Avarim? When you cite two examples, it must be that it's only Shane Ve'ayin. Where are you coming up with the other limb tips? Right? As the Gemara says, Kol Shnei Suvim Abayim Ke'echad En Milamdim. You don't teach about other things. It teaches you that those two are the exception. Says the Gemara Tzricha. Now, we have to say that, it, that you have to say both a tooth and an eye, and it's reflective on all the others. Why? The ikas of Rechmana Shein, and what the Gemara means by, by Tzricha is, that's only if the two of them are redundant. If they're redundant, then it's, those are the only two that will set you free. But if each one of them has to be said for a specific reason, because one has elements that the other lacks, so that's already two psukim coming, not ke'echad, not to teach you the same thing. And therefore, those two are the only two exceptions. It's rather two psukim teaching you two different things, two examples rather, right? One shane, one ayin. If they each have something to contribute, so then they can collectively reflect on greater things like the other limb tips. So what would be the thing that the shane is actually um, teaching you as opposed to the ayin and vice versa? Like this. Because of shane, havamina afilu as we turn to chavdal and beis, shane the chalav. If you would have just said tooth, you would have thought maybe just a primary tooth. What Andrew colloquially calls a baby tooth. Right? So, therefore, what? As, as the first Rashi says in Shionakba. That's what a Shein Shechalav. That's why it's called a Shein. They still call it a Shein Shechalav in Israel. In the dental office. They call the uh, primary teeth, the baby teeth, Shinei Shechalav. Okay? That's what they call it. It's the teeth that you have when, I guess, you're nursing. 
Right, the us is the hachliva kagon be'evet katan. Right, so if you have an evet katan that knocks out a baby tooth, right, you would have thought that that sets it free, but it does not. If you knock out an evet's baby tooth, that does not set it free, right? Because kasev achmana ayin, and that we learn from ayin, right? Because it teaches you that just like an eye, if once you knocked out, there's another, there's not another eye growing in back there, right? So that would only that type of tooth. But that's why orthodontics and the adult teeth is so important. Bear, um, Barry and Andrew, because you only really right get one chance, right? Those teeth are not going to regenerate. You got to make sure that the periodontum and the tooth are in good condition. That's only in the adult tooth. The baby tooth, come on, pediatric dentistry, who cares, right? So he says, I. That's a shout out to Dr. Julie. Okay, so I'm the ikasav rechmana ayin hava amina ma ayin shenivar imo af kol shenivar imo aval shein lo. And what if it had only written ayin and then you would have known everything? Well, the ayin was created with him at birth. But guess what? The adult tooth, right, came in later. So you would have thought uh, you don't get to, right, uh, be freed as a slave if an adult tooth gets knocked out because he wasn't, that's not really, so to speak, the part of him that was with him when he was born. The ayin, uh, in contrast, is there from beginning to end, right? So there, but, so, however, we hold that a tooth, that adult tooth, despite the fact that it wasn't present uh, at birth, does in fact set him free. And therefore, you need to learn both Ein and the Shein, Tzricha. You need both. And therefore, that's how we, that's how we justify having both a Shein and an Ein in our, right, uh, in our Pasuk, and still, right, extended to all other limb tips. And that three lines down says the Gemara, we have another thing. It says right, if a man strikes his Evan, that's a generalization. So maybe we should go back and read Rabbi Shmuel Omer and all of our Yud Gimel Midos and say like this, a klal uprat uklal. How so? Like this. Right? Because we know if you have a generalization and then a prat, right, a specific, and then a generalization, you're only going to go according to the prat. So what's the klal uprat uklal here? Kiyakeh means if an evid hits, it gets hit, right, by a master. So then that is very general. Any kind of, right, patch. Shein ve'ayin prat. And then shein ve'ayin, as we just articulated, that's the detail, okay? Kalu prat, ein v'chlal, el mashu prat. So maybe we should say that when you have a prat to klal, right, so everything has to be just like the detail, the specifics, and therefore shein ve'ayin ein midechrin alo. So maybe this should be the simplest form of hermeneutics, which is to say, in general, you're not allowed to hit your evid, and then the specifics that we're teaching you are tooth and eye, and that's it. Therefore, only tooth and eye should set the evid free. Says the Gemara, no. Because, because if you read the Pasuk as we did, he says, first, you can't pot your evid, and then he goes free with the tooth and eye, and then it says, you should set him free. So there you have another klal. When you have a generalization, then specifics, and another generalization, then you don't just do the actual prat, right? That's the difference. versus Mashiba prat is the actual shein ve'ain. Ke'ena prat means that which is similar to the shein ve'ain, and everything that's in that category. So this is literally how we have, how we're dorish the psukim. So that's perfect. That's what our Brisa does. It does everything that's similar to Shein Ve'ayin. So that's good, right? What is the similarity? Like this. Just like in the specifics of Shein Ve'ayin, 
it's a mumsha begalai, which you see externally and also does not regenerate. So afkol mumsha begalai, so too, any one of the 24 avarim tips that have, right, that are exposed and do not regenerate should set an ever free were they to be destroyed. Okay. However, the Gemara persists and asks, well, so once you're making this general, this generalization based on the specific of Shein Ve'ain, maybe you could add another thing. What? Mumin Shibigali. Okay, so that we already have, that's exposed. What's Vatomimlachto? Rashi. Says the third uh, line, Rashi. Vatomimlachto. Ha'ain Nismes Mirosva Vashein Mirosos. What would you say if you just blind a guy, but his, his eye is still there, or the tooth is like so rendered so mobile that you can't chew on it? Okay, so, so what's the problem? Well, you're seizing it from its function, okay? And it doesn't regenerate. So maybe that should be an additional right, criteria for setting the avid free. So again, the idea that it doesn't regenerate and it's exposed, we already said. But why don't we also add this batal melachto? If we did so, continues the Gemara and says, af kol melachto. Right? So therefore, anything where you are actually, it's exposed and it doesn't regenerate and, right, you take it away from its function, then that should set a slave free. However, alama tanya, we have an additional brisa, a wild brisa that says, talash bizkon of a dildil etzim. If the master yanks the slave's beard and dislocates a jawbone, a mandibular bone, and then that bone falls off and doesn't regenerate, evid the slave goes out to free. What's the problem? The problem here is that we don't see that an obvious function. So I don't know what bone they're talking about, honestly. I looked it up. I tried to check it out. So what's being dislocated here? Is this the TMJ, Barry? Like, I don't, I don't know what exactly functionally they're talking about, but the bottom line is the Gemara is giving an example of a brysa where there's something that's really not so functional. No obvious function to this portion of the jaw, and you yank the evidence on the, be- uh, on the beard, some sort of not very functional thing in the jaw gets dislocated and withers and falls off, and the evidence goes free, and the question of the Gemara is, even though... Right, so he says, we have a question because we don't see any specific function that is lost here. Shouldn't there be some functional loss? Like when you lose an eye and a tooth, there's great functional loss. You know, a lot of people think that, that orthodontics is just aesthetics, Barry. No, I keep explaining to them. This is the source, right? Chavdal, Rav, and Kiddushin. The tooth is a functional loss. You lose not just aesthetics, but function, okay? Says the Gemara, Right. So that is a ribuy. When it says this ribuya, the arts call translate as an amplification, as opposed to generalization. Right? When you have uh, just a klal, that's a generalization, so then it has to be right, the prat uklal prat, that is to say that the generalization is only restricted to the specification, to the prat of Shane Ve'ain. But when you have a klal prat and then the eribuya, as not just a generalization of a klal, but an amplification of a ribuy, so then you're going to add even non-functional organs, not obviously functional organs. Okay. 
If that's true, if it's an application, if you call it Yodav, it's sometimes it's also Nami. What if you struck him in the hand and he gets a nice wound, but eventually it's, it, it's actually healed? So would you say that that also is added in this ribuya, in this amplification? Well, that doesn't seem right because Allah Matanya, he called Yodav, it's sometimes it's also Lachs, right? The Bryce actually says that in such a case where you master strikes him in his hand, it totally withers, but eventually gets restored, then Baruch Hashem, uh, the Evid could stay, right? He's not Yodav Tacheres. So therefore, we're having an issue with this amplification. What are we adding and what are we not adding? Says the Gemara, Im Kain, Shein Ve'ayin, Maya Hanilei. Well, if you're going to say that everything's amplified in every single case where somebody, something gets injured, the ever goes free, so then now already you've lost the entire right uh, purpose of reducing it to Shein Ve'ayin, of the Prat, right? So it's a balance, Barry. The Shein Ve'ayin seems to clearly restrict the Avarim to something similar to eye and a tooth. And then the Ribuya of Yotzeh of Lechavshi Shalchenu clearly is amplifying it to something slightly beyond Shein Ve'ayin. So somewhere in there lies the actual halacha of what would set an Evid free. Okay? So, so that's where we leave it, right? That it's to limit the amplification. We're going to say that a temporary loss of a limb is not going to set an Evid free. However, a loss of a limb where it's not obvious to us what the function is, as long as it's one of the 24 limbs, is going to set the Evid free. Got it, Andrew? So watch out for those limbs with your Evid, Andrew. 17 lines down, turn button. Here we go. So now we're going to actually ask our... Uh, uh, our question, it says, because of any of these scenarios, a slave would go out free. Ve- no, a different question. The question is, when he goes free from being hit, do you also need to get shikhar? So according to Shimon, yes. But we're going to have many famous Tanaim way in. You don't need to get shikhar. You do need one. You don't. You do need to get your And those that decide, who's this? The, we don't know who these people are, but the people who are going to decide on this incredible they say, So you see, I think this shows how prominent Rabbi Tarfan and Rabbi Kiva are. Because even though Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Ezer and Rabbi Shimon are such prominent, but they're Talmidim, right, of, of the great uh, Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfan. So they are the ones that are going to be machriya. So really, we're going to focus on them. Rabbi Tarfan says you don't need to get shechur. Rabbi Akiva says you do. So it says the Gemara that Rabbi Tarfan is true with Shein Ve'ayin, which is to say, if the tooth and the eye get knocked out, then you're not going to need a get shechur. However, why? Because Shatora Zachtalo. Because that's written explicitly in the Torah. But Rabbi Kiva, who says that you need a shtar shechor, that's if you go out with any one of the limbs other than tooth and eye. So fascinatingly, there is a difference between shein ve'ayin and everything else. And what's the difference? A fundamental difference. Do you need to get shechor? Or as soon as you get hit, if you get hit in the tooth or the eye, then you go free right away. Without a get shechor, like, right? like Rabbi Tarfon. Okay. Why did Rabbi Kiva say that Bishar Varm, you do need to get shechor? Because, oh, look, nas Because he holds... That that is a knas chachamim, and therefore because it's a knas chachamim, right? So then, it's really you're going to still need a get shechor, which is to say that 
the idea that you go out with anything other than an eye or a tooth, that the slave goes free, is really just a knas on the master, that he's not supposed to hit his Eved. And if he hits any of the other limbs, even though the Torah doesn't say that the Eved goes free, the actual uh, hitting of that limb entitles the Eved to go free. And that's a knas, and therefore, because it's only a knas and not automatic minatari, you're going to need a star shikhor, to which the Gemara asks, knasu? What kind of knas? Kroi kadarshinan. We didn't, this isn't a knas midarabanan. We just said that this is a drusha. We just went through the drusha. When you go through a drusha, Andrew, that is midaraisa, right? Nonetheless, it doesn't mean that it's darabanan. Yes, the Rabbanon were the ones that did the drasha, but they're learning out from the psukim. That's the Raisa. That's not the Knast Rabbanon. So the Gemara, you're right. Ella, Horlu, Midrash Chachamim, who? Fascinating idea. That since this is Midrash Chachamim, albeit the Raisa, it's still going to require stars. So you have, to, you have to look at the beginning of the Tosfos, the top one in Chavdal Adam Beis. It says, Peyush Meshum, Hachi Amar, the Bishar Dvarim Tzorach Ket Shikha, Vim Tomar, Umabacha, Horlu, Midrash Chachamim, who, Valo, Kama, Gufei, Torah, Tzluin, Shein, Bein, Sheinan, right? Bain elamikach drasha. Everything is a drasha. <laughs> how many th- how many things are explicit? We're not karayim here chas v'shalom, right? Like we're we're learning everything as a drasha. Okay, so he's going to say that this is a get midirabanan, which say maybe you'll find it in the shuk, and you're going to say that it's an avdi. So he says that because of the way it looks, maybe it is derabanan. Fascinating tosfos on top of chodalim beis. But let's continue. My time with Shimon. What's the reasoning of Rabbi Shimon? Who's the first one mentioned to say that the that the slave does require ashtar shechur? Says the Gemara, Yalef shiluch shiluch misha. Maybe it's a comparison to Isha. After all, ma Isha b'shtar. We learned Maseches Gittin, Baruch Hashem. So we know that a woman goes out with a shtar. Af eved nami b'shtar. So to to an eved should go out with a shtar. So Rebbe Meir, right? Does Rebbe Meir not hold of this gezer shava? Why does he hold that he can go out without a shtar altogether? Says because of chavshi levasov kedek amrat. If it had said chavshi at the end, so then like then we would have said kitik amrat, like you said that she that that she requires a star. However, hashda dechasef lechavshi yishalchenu. Rameir says, look at the pasuk carefully. First he says it goes free, and then he says you should send them out. Says havale chavshi meikara. The fact that it sounds like he's already free at the time that you send them out is the Torah telling you that as soon as the ever gets hit, he's already free. Uh, without even a star. Okay, so now Tana Rabbanon, Hikawal Eina Vesima. What would be the case if you hit him on his eye and you blinded him, Al-Azna Vecherasho, on his ear and deafen him, Evi Yosebein Lecheras. He goes free. However, Neged Eina Veina Roe. What if he struck a wall next to the eye and then somehow he went blind from that? Or Keneged Azna Veina Shamea. Opposite his ear, any longer. In other words, it's not a direct hit, but somehow he can no longer see or hear. Says says the Brisa ain't Evid Yotzebein The Evid doesn't go free. He has to be a direct hit. Has to actually physically injure the eye or the ear. So Amar of Shemla of Ashi the Kala Lav Klumu. Are you going to say that simply blinding somebody or or making them deaf with a voice is not a tangible thing because voices are not tangible? Vehatani Rami Bar Yecheskel Tarnagol Shehoshit Roshel Avrikli. We know. That we learned in the Brisa that if a rooster inserts his head into a kli, tzchuchis, glass, v'takabo shvara, oh, dafyomi coincidence, he's takaya in it, he doesn't use a chauffeur because he doesn't have to, he can crow right in it, and he breaks it with a sound. Or mishalom nezek shalom, then he's mishalom nezek shalom. Rabbi Rabbi Yosef, Amri Bey Rav, sus, shetzon of shenar. Similarly, if a horse neighed or a donkey brayed, v'shavu kelim betoch habais, right? And with this very sound, 
that they're creating. They're breaking glass here. Mishalim chatzin nezek. They have to pay chatzin nezek because shoros nezek shalom chatzin nezek. Look at the Rashi. The machlokes chachamim and sumkus. This is some foreshadowing because I'm about to finish saying Ezekiel and start. I was to finish saying Nashim and start saying this in Ezekiel. When we get to the very beginning of Avakama, we'll talk about the nezek shalom chatzin nezek of shoros. Be that as it may, we see that you do have to make a payment when you injure something with just a sound. So why do you not have to pay for the evidence when you're injuring them with the sound? So Amalei, so Ravashi said, shiny Adam, the came on the Vardasu, even by his Rashi explains, it's not a direct consequence. Like when you break glass with a sound, so obviously it's the sound waves that's breaking the glass. But here the evidence has his own mind. He, he went deaf because there's like a mind-body connection. Isn't that amazing? He went deaf because of the way he processed it. It wasn't a direct... Uh, sound waves raking his ear. Unbelievable. Because we said, if a person freaks his friend out, right, he's not chayiv, uh, in a court of law to pay because it's not considered a direct consequence. Of course, in Shemaim, he's going to get patched because Hashem knows that he's the cause of it. Ketzad, what's the case? Yeah. Uh, coincidence. You blow a shofar into another or shout into the guy's ear and you make him deaf. Potter, because it's not considered that the sound wave busted his eardrum. You basically freaked him out and that's what busted his eardrum. Or a chazar, but if you grabbed him somehow and then shouted in his ear, somehow that grabbing is a more physical activity and that's considered a more physical way of uh, destroying him. So now we're left six lines up from the wide. Tanarabanan. He call If you hit him in the eye and it becomes weak, or you make his tooth loose, it has to do with whether you can function. So tomorrow we'll resume, right, with the functional or non-functional mobile tooth and see how that affects whether an Eved can in fact go free.